Testimonies from 300 students show victims of sexual assaults are not being protected adequately by schools, such as having their perpetrator in the same classroom. Respondents to a call for sharing experiences of sexual assault at school reported examples of sexual harassment, blackmail, rape and pack assault. The paper, authored by Jenna Hawkins-Bolton of Let's Talk Consent, finds schools are struggling to provide a safe environment for victims and to deal with disclosures. The report finds not only uh, not enough being done to foster school culture where consent is promoted across all areas and there is a zero-tolerance approach to sexual violence. It recommends more training for staff and making consent-based education compulsory. Jenna Hawkins-Bolton, co-founder of Lex Talk Consent, is also an associate at YWCA Tamaki Makauro. Tēnā koe, Jenna. Welcome. Thanks for being in this morning. Atamaria, Catherine. Thanks for having me. So what was the, the start of this particular piece of work? Well, about a year ago, I was actually keeping a close eye of the Teachers Consent campaign over in Australia that was held on social media and it was run by a young woman named Chanel Contos. And I was really inspired to see the change they could make and the conversations they were having around consent education and making it compulsory in schools. And so I took to my own Instagram. I put a call out um, asking for testimonies, only really concerning consent education, um, but also just putting a call out to see if there were experiences of sexual violence in schools. And I honestly only really expected about 10 people to respond And I really expected it to be around my social circles and people who went to my high school and then it honestly blew up. Um, All of a sudden I was getting testimonies from up north and then also down in Christchurch and down south. And then it got picked up by Teachers Consent and they actually offered to host testimonies on their website for New Zealanders. And then within two weeks I got about 300. Um, And then fast forward, Help Auckland Women's Refuge offered to help write a report and yeah, here we are today. So it's a qualitative report, sorry to be finickety, but just to yes. explain, this is people who have volunteered to come forward and they've shared of their experiences at school or in a broader school environment, like parties, etc. Yes, that's correct. Okay. It's um, yeah, not prevalence data, it's just testimonies sharing the stories. All right. Some historical also and some current students. Yes, they're right. So we had people who were about yeah, 12 years old um, up until... Um, yeah, 37, but most of the data was from under 19-year-olds. All right, so they're either in or have recently been in yes. the, the school system. What were some of your main findings? A lot of the findings, which I was really surprised about, um, was the shocking lack of support that was offered to people who were coming forward because we think about consent education and In the report, it did show 54% did get consent education, 72% didn't feel like it was adequate enough. And so it was really shocking to see that people who did get consent education and did recognise their experience as sexual assault, they did feel confident going to senior leadership in the school to report um, the person that had hurt them. But they just weren't offered pathways to restorative justice. They were, as you said, they were put in the same classes as the people they had reported. Um, counselors didn't feel they didn't feel supported by counselors that they were um, put in. Yet they were offered, and it was just quite alarming to see how schools are really struggling to uphold their duty of care in this regard. 
Can you form an opinion on what you saw from these? Were, were, the school, were the schools either just unprepared or was there a bit of a liability fear around what they did? Could you explain? Um, I think, yeah, there is, it's a bit of both, I think. Well, I, I don't think that schools are really prepared to handle these disclosures. Um, I don't think there's enough support for senior leadership. I don't I don't think there's enough disclosure training. Um, and, yeah, I think there is, overall, um, with how sexual violence is treated, is quite... It's quite a tough environment to be in for a survivor. Um, and so thinking about our consent laws as a whole there isn't enough being done to ensure that survivors are supportive through that process. Could you give an example of where best practice didn't happen or give an example of what the experience of the, of the survivor was? What It's a little bit of both explaining what should have happened, but then what mm-hmm. wasn't happening. Yeah, I can talk a bit about an anonymous testimony that was shared where... Um, a survivor had come forward about someone that had hurt them. Um, they had shared their mental health impacts. They had said yeah, four times a week minimum they were getting panic attacks. Uh, they had uh, essentially also attempted suicide and they had gone to the school. They had expressed con- where they how they were feeling. Uh, then they were... I guess they, essentially came back the next year, they were in two classes with the person that hurt them. Um, They were offered a counselling session with the person that had hurt them, and that's just a big no in terms of thinking about re-traumatisation in survivors, and that ultimately left them to leave that school and to go somewhere else, and that was a massive disruption to their learning. What is best practice in a similar situation? What should all skill, schools have by means of procedure, Jenna? I think that, first of all, disclosure training is really important. I think that there's a way in which you are to receive a disclosure like this. I think that there should be pathways to offer learning assistance to the person who is really struggling mentally um, with what has happened to them. I think that there should be um, other pathways for the person who had hurt who the, um, the accused should not be put in their classes. I think there should be a way in which restorative justice is offered to them as well. Is there types of like mediation um, that can happen with that person? Uh, is, there path- is there a pathway to rehabilitation? So, yeah, the best practice ultimately comes down to sexual violence prevention specialists, but that's what we have discussed. Other findings include victim blaming. By whom? There was victim blaming from a whole bunch of people, to be honest. Um, Victim blaming from the peers. They experienced a bit of victim blaming from the staff, which, again, that's when the disclosure training would come in really crucial um, because you just never want to put the onus on the victim for coming forward um, and also victim blaming from say the accused peers um, yeah just probably from like yeah, the whole the whole school culture 
the next three regrettably uh, go together and I'll put them together because they are part of the environment on the prevention side of things that parents, schools, everybody is struggling with. The three points are toxic masculinity among young men, um, which is a certain, it's a name for a certain kind of behaviour and a certain kind of um, attitude. Uh, Hypersexualisation and objectification of young girls. What did you learn from uh, the 300 submitters here who spoke of their stories about what's happening in our school environments? Well, in terms of the toxic masculinity, I really saw that it wasn't just young women who are on the receiving end of that. Young boys actually struggled a lot because they felt like if they had experienced assault, it was very difficult for them to come forward about it and for them to talk to their peers about it because... I think, um, yeah, I guess sexual endeavours for young boys are like very much promoted in the way that if you were to feel like hesitant or if you were to reject sexual advances, you were seen as a coward or you weren't seen manly enough. And that is very dangerous. And I think that that's where the toxic masculinity really comes into play there. And in terms of the hypersexualization of girls, I mean, it was quite pervasive in the way that you see um, young girls being like groped in class, being um, catcalled in class. It's just I mean... And what also, would teachers do, was a teacher present in each of these instances? Um, well, the, some of them said that yeah, they were in classes and some of them, they, there were no teachers present. Or the teacher may have had their back turned or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But this was, this was common behaviour from the testimonies that you received. Absolutely. It was it was just rampant across the country. And objectification, how do you, um, as I said, they're kind of related, but um, could you expand on the experience these uh, people who spoke to you participated? Yeah, so objectification really came into play where um, they felt like there was a sense of entitlement to their body. So there was a male entitlement to a female's body, um, and that came into play online, so applications like Snapchat um, was used quite intensely to um, share photographs between um, peers, and the objectification really came into play as well with the peer-to-peer interactions between males, so they would just, you know, be able to hype each other up and just um, brag about young women and their bodies, and I felt like a lot of testimonies as well talked about how their parts of their bodies were like crudely spoken about in front of them and they felt really uncomfortable. They didn't really know how to put an end to that. And it's just, I think a lot of it does come down to um, pornography as well. Can we, we, can we talk about, about the pornography? Because yes. um, 75% of 14 to 17-year-olds had watched pornography. That's not actually necessarily a particularly high number. Um uh, I would have thought historically, 73% use porn as a learning source. That's not a terrible surprise either. Mm-hmm. But what is particularly concerning is the 70% influence to view women as sex objects, 35% of porn scenes showing coercion. Do you believe that contemporary porn, in other words, online porn, and the easy accessibility to, to certain genres of porn, is a key problem? for this cohort, these cohorts. Could you elaborate? Without a doubt. I think 
It's extremely accessible now. Um, people talk about like watching uh, explicit content and like on their f- cell phones in class when the teacher's not looking. Um, yeah, and I think as you said and as the report says as well, it is predominantly a learning source for young boys, and that is incredibly dangerous in the way that people aren't learning about consent in the classroom. They're learning about consent in pornography, and in many ways, pornography doesn't show consent at all. It glamorizes sexual assault. And so that is incredibly dangerous, and I think that pornography literacy should be a part of conversations with, yeah, I guess, schools and parents. Another aspect of the report is the normalisation of sexual violence, which is another issue with contemporary porn and the huge range of genre easily accessible. Uh, There is often a prevalence of sexual behaviours and... uh, an undertone of sexual violence, if not an acting out of what many would regard as sexual violence. Again, do you believe that is part of the issue that this generation is dealing with? Yeah, I I do think so. I think um, it is a massive issue in the way that young boys are essentially, if if does feel like pornography is grooming a generation where sexual violence is the norm, okay. and it is a heavy uh, topic to really grapple with and it's really tough I know it's really tough for parents it is tough in the way that pornography is so um, yeah it's accessible for young boys it's like almost encouraged to watch it to yeah, learn about um, sex in that way and so well they're the king uh, words yeah. learn yeah. about sex in that way yeah uh, and and that is, I guess, what is different from 20, 30 years ago when it comes to learning sexual behaviour from pornography, whether it was video or whether it was um, paper-based. Let's talk about your recommendations. Yeah. Uh, could you just explain, let's talk consent, first of all, what, what you, who you are and what you do, please, Jenna? Yeah, so Let's Talk Consent, um, we're an organisation that promotes consent culture in youth communities and yeah, also seeks to promote consent culture in businesses too. And so a big part of the core of Let's Talk Consent actually came from all the testimonies that were coming through. So from those testimonies, I really saw that there wasn't a lot of... Uh, synergy between what youth were experiencing, what the government was um, working on and there was a big gap in the way that youth voices were centred on these conversations and so it is a big um, advocacy point for me to ensure that youth lived experiences are centred in policies and that's a big thing that Let's Talk Consent does promote. Can we talk about a couple of the recommendations? One is consent-based education being compulsory. Another is more training for staff. Another is a zero-tolerance approach for sexual violence. What do, what do you mean by that? Do you believe that uh, if, a, if a criminal uh, investigation is not brought, that schools' own um, disciplinary procedures should be pretty heavy-handed? Yeah, I think so, because we have to think about what kind of example we are setting for young people. And schools are an environment where tweens kind of grow into young adulthood. And so we have to really create a culture where there is a zero tolerance of sexual violence, because if they, for example, they can get away with these type of behaviours in schools, what example yeah. we're seeing that for the rest of their lives. The challenge might be what school procedure could possibly offer yeah. both natural justice to the accused and not harm the um, uh, the victim, and that yeah. could get very complicated. I am really interested in what 
you are seeing as being unsatisfactory uh, coverage of consent in school culture across all areas? Could you elaborate? Is it more than having a class for half an hour every now and then? What what do you envisage would really matter? Yeah, I think well, what's happening at the moment is again, like as you said, like there is it is quite limited to health classes and health teachers have to carry the burden of having to or the responsibility of having to promote this consent culture and so it's really important that these lessons get taught out of school as well so they are embedded in different parts of the curriculum in different ways and that is a conversation to be had as well and the way that consent is really upholded by senior leadership and yeah again that's when disclosure training does come into play too. Jenna, thank you. Jenna Hawkins-Bolton, if you want to read more of that report, there's a hyperlink to it on our website. That's just where you click on the bit that's got an underline on it, the report.